0: What do voodoo dolls, a mummy's tomb, handwritten books from the Middle Ages, gypsies, and a dwarf named Hercules all have in common? Well, if you fuck with any of them, you're liable to have a horrible curse to contend with. Well, at least according to the movie, that is. And over the last century of film, the concept of curses, hexes, and jinxes have managed to work their way from the dark lore of mankind's past. Onto the shiny celluloid of today, where film audiences past and present have been thrilled by stories featuring this mythological phenomenon. But is it a myth? Are the only curses we are likely to experience the ones that are on the silver screen? Join us today on this episode of Slums of Film History as we unravel this supernatural mystery. So be sure to grab your charms and conjure your protective spells because today we're meddling with curses.
1: Plumbs the film history, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed
0: in polite company. I'm Slate, and I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from murderous gays to evil sanders to horny nuns. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey Slate. Hi Tom. What's up? Not much. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Great. So this is my curses episode. Mm-hmm. i hope Excited. It's a good one. It's yep. a listener suggested topic. We'll talk about that in a minute. But do you have anything to put out first?
1: No. The only thing is that you know since we are kind of in our third to the last episode, I thought, well, let's just talk about the history of slums a little bit, just sure. because I went to go listen to Cannibalism not too long ago for something else, and I found it to be unlistenable. <laughs> really? I was just so I was like, oh, the sound quality's terrible. Sound quality was pretty. Good we talked about Texas chainsaw massacre forever we talked about it for about 14 hours <laughs> and i tr- i had tried to like start putting like music from like the movie alive and like the scores underneath while we were talking yeah. and it did not work like, it was not very good.
0: Right. You know, I thought the way you thought before I listened to them, and I was like, "No, nah, it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first one was Snuff, and that one is both better and worse than I thought it was right. <laughs> it's been, sure, in sure. different parts. I didn't even put music or anything at the intro. I just read it out. And, you know, we were just brand new doing this stuff yeah. at the time. Yeah, the mic stuff annoys me now, but yeah. some of the content and just the idea of how we were going to do this podcast came together pretty quickly. So I was happy about that. Right. We yeah. figured it out fairly fast. We but- did. And we had kind of just been talking about it over
1: the phone. We had started to put together the idea and how we were going to do it. And then we were like, okay, like, let's write our episodes. And then I came down here and we were like, let's start recording. Right. And it didn't go as poorly as it probably should have no no it went fairly
0: well all things considered
1: and so yeah and then we had a podcast and then we decided after season one we were like okay i guess we're doing a season two so right and and then we
0: came up with the five season total we're like we'll do five seasons and then figure out what else we're gonna do after that take some time off and do that which we are gonna take some time off and figure out what we're gonna do yeah we've got some plans kind of a little bit yeah but we're not done yet not done so got three more to go we do indeed and this one's curses And this is a listener suggested topic I said that already and actually it was my friend Dan who I work with he started listening to the podcast and he started listening around the time when we were asking for listener suggested topics Mm -hmm. like in comments and things like that so he said hey you ever thought about doing curses and as soon as he said it I was like yes. And I knew how I was going to do it. So it's going to be broken down in three sections, and I'm not going to tell you what the three sections are yet, but that's the breakdown here. So I'm really glad that he suggested it. So this one's for you, Dan. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Dan. So you ready to get started? I'm ready. All right. So the first section is history. Okay. So I'm condensing the shit out of the history of curses. Of course. So all you listeners who are Wiccans or into witchcraft out there, History majors, sorry. Please don't put a curse on me. Sorry. This is a very stripped down overview. But I'm going to start with the definition. So, a curse is an expressed wish or prayer that some form of adversity or misfortune will befall or attach to some other entity, like a person, a place, or an object. Okay. In particular, a curse may refer to such a wish or pronouncement made effective by a supernatural or spiritual power, such as a god or gods, or a natural force or a spirit. In the latter sense, a curse can also be called a hex or a jinx. So, we need to use those terms, like, up oh, jinxed. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the aim of a curse is to see harm befall the recipient, so they may may be dogged by bad luck, may die, or they may have any number of dire or annoying fates that plague them. Okay. It's believed that those finding themselves cursed could seek help from a magic practitioner, such as a shaman or religious leader, healer or witch doctor, and have the curse reversed through counter rituals or prayer. A way to avoid being cursed in the first place was to possess certain items of protection like a charm or a talisman.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. This is an episode
0: of Golden Girls, so I understand exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. You're all over it. Did Blanche like do some sort of curse against them? Um,
1: no, they had a curse put on them from a maid that they hired but then had
0: to fire it was a really good one it sounds awesome yeah it's kind I of racist believe, too, believe, yeah i yeah. can't believe i missed that one so curses go back since the dawn of mankind and the concept of curses can be found in many cultures across the globe we'll discuss some of those various cultures and their respective curses but one thing i want to point out is that curses of any culture can really be broken down into three basic categories all of which have equivalents or near equivalents today. The first is known as a protective curse, which is intended to guard an object or person. The second are malicious curses that are solely intended to harm.
1: Those are the best kind.
0: Yes. And the third is a lesser known curse, but it's still present today. Mm-hmm. It's known as a self curse. And I'll give examples of each of these. Oh. Protective curses. Protective curses are laid upon a person or object for their own defense. Often, the protected object would have the curse written on it. They are sleeping curses, so to speak. If nobody tries to harm the protected object, the curse will never be awakened. Okay. They have something in common with protective charms and amulets, but protective curses differ in that they're supposed to make an evildoer's own evil rebound upon the sinner, not simply stifle the evil itself. Okay. A good example of a protective curse dates back to the ancient Egyptians, who most famously used a curse to protect the tomb the pharaoh Tutankhamen or King Tut yeah King Tut who Tut. was banging his sister was it a sister
1: I think it was yeah okay have you ever seen like the rendering of like what King Tut would have actually looked at he yeah. was hideous I um, yeah he was not attractive was his not. body was weird he was all like it was ugly yeah he wasn't very ugh. attractive yeah. no thank but he was, you
0: I mean he was rich
1: so I just wish he should have used some of that money for a little bit of plastic surgery
0: <laughs> the Egyptians had that they could build pyramids yeah of course they had plastic surgery and it's stuff like hideous, that like, everybody knows hideous. that so, he was sort of pissed off about being hideous that he put this curse on his tomb. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, he ruled between 1332 and 1323 BC, long-ass time ago. And he's probably the most well-known pharaoh because his tomb was the most intact. And if you've ever seen that gold mask that always is mm-hmm. emblematic of yeah, Egypt that's culture, hot, not that's him. his yeah. death mask. Ugly. But as the story goes, his tomb was mostly undisturbed for thousands of years until 1922 when some British explorers found it. Inside were the death masks we were just talking about and a bunch of other stuff that received worldwide press coverage. They were also said to have found a clay tablet which read, Death shall come on swift wings to him that touches the tomb of the pharaoh. Mm. Several of the explorers who opened the tomb died fairly young in the following years, and these deaths were attributed to the curse. I think it was like 8 out of the 50 people, mm-hmm. but still. However, the cursed tablet probably never existed. No one's ever found it and it's not in display anywhere. And another explorer actually pointed out there was no precedent for Egyptians making tablets with curses on them. I think it was just more of a rumor or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it stuck. And the mystery surrounding Egyptian culture and the Deaths of the Explorers only caused this legend to grow. I mean we still know about it today, the, the Curse of the Pharaohs.
1: Yeah. This kind of sounds like a national enquirer story though a little bit.
0: Yeah, you're you're probably right. There's another aspect of this curse that I haven't even talked about, which is the the mummy piece of this, but that'll come up later in the episode. Another protective curse I found uh, interesting is known as the book curse that dates back to 627 BC on tablets collected in the library of Nineveh Assia. Assia, oh,
1: yeah, You know, Nineveh I can't pronounce of Acia, fucking shit. Yeah.
0: Yep. But it's best known during the Middle Ages, and it was curses used to protect books from thievery or destruction slash vandalism. Because in the Middle Ages, creating a book took years. There was nothing that was mass produced, so when somebody wrote a book, they hand wrote it, slaving over paper, writing this shit out. And so they didn't want people to rip pages out, which was a thing, or just steal the fucking book. So what they would do in the margins is the scribes would write these curses in there like, you know, anyone who defaces this book or, you know, bad things are going to happen to them. So that was a big thing. Interesting
1: security measure Uh yeah
0: i mean it worked because people believed in that shit back then right right and so they didn't fuck with these books because they didn't want to be cursed or whatever so yeah that was dating back to the middle ages cool yeah so now let's talk about malicious curses i'm sure you're happy to hear about that's my favorite part so a protective curse as i described um really only works if someone heeds the warning like if it's truly successful then it's never actually activated because that means it protects its object Malicious curses, on the other hand, the only reason for existence is to harm someone, almost always physically. And it's because of this that the image most associated with the idea of malicious curses is what we call the voodoo doll. Although that's actually a misnomer because voodoo dolls weren't originated in places like Haiti, where you normally think they would be. They actually started in Europe. Mm -hmm. They were in the Middle East as well for several thousand years uh, before it became associated with voodoo. Uh, These dolls were used almost everywhere on the European continent as well as in other regions as far away as India. But they are generally used for the same purpose wherever they are, which is for focusing the emotion necessary for a curse. Some of the ways that it was used was the figure would be named for the person it represented. Writing the name somewhere on the figure was considered most effective. And the hands, feet, and head would be twisted backwards. Needles would be driven through the heart, eyes, and other parts of the body for the purposes of causing pain and sometimes death. And of course, these dolls are instantly recognizable and are still around today. Words were also used in malicious curses, both written and spoken. Uh, the Romans used to write curses on lead tablets. A typical way this was done is they would hire a scribe, because you can't just fuck this up. They would actually hire someone who was good at writing curses, and um, put them on these, these lead tablets. Sure, a professional. Yeah, this is an amateur hour. You, you need a professional. And the curse would usually describe the crime that was committed. Usually it was a theft, possession, or somebody, a lover, you know, cheated on somebody. And they would ask uh, for the usual pain and suffering from the person that they wanted to curse. Sometimes the person wanting the curse would help the gods out by putting the name of a few suspects. So they'd say, dear gods, please curse the person that, you know, had sex with my wife. And I think it's this person. Uh-huh. It's like, dear Santa. But here's the alts, this? yeah. Yeah, so... You know, to help them out. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the most popular curses that I'm going to talk about, and then one of the most primal curses, is the evil eye. You know what that is? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 This is a very ancient curse known around the world. It dates back to the Upper Paleolithic period. And it's a curse in its rawest form. It doesn't require dolls, tablets, words, nothing. It's considered in many ways the most insidious, uh, even in a spoken curse, because one could supposedly use the evil eye on a victim without even being aware of it. Yeah. I give you the evil eye frequently. I know, and I feel like I suffer for that shit all the time. The evil eye was simply an undesirable emotion, usually jealousy, which was so strong that it turned itself into a curse. An example that I looked up and I'll use is, like say, for instance, a sterile woman who admired a baby. Uh, was a prime suspect for accidentally uh, casting an evil eye on the baby. And if either one took sick afterwards, it was thought that the power of the unacknowledged jealousy is what had done it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's jealousy. I didn't know that. That seems to be the main thing that causes the evil eye. I'm not
1: jealous of you. I just want you to do everything I tell you to
0: do. It's a a different evil eye. Yeah, But it's the same thing. I still suffer for that. Okay, great. All right, I want to switch this up real quick while we're talking about history. And I want to talk about the Romani people, also known as Roma. But you probably know them as gypsies. Mm -hmm. They are a transient group of people that live in Europe and in the Americas as well, but they originated in regions of modern-day Indian Pakistan. Pakistan. Okay. Anyway, I bring them up in the curses episode because there's the whole fabled gypsy curse that will pop up in a lot of movies and in some of the ones that I'm going to talk about today. But I had to talk about the Romani people if I was going to talk about curses just because as gypsies, are associated with this whole curse phenomenon, so I had to bring them up. And for the purpose of this episode, I am going to refer to it as the Gypsy Curse. I realize it's a slang. I'm not trying to slide against the Romani people, but everyone knows what a Gypsy Curse is, so I'm going to refer it as such. Sure. On that note, I don't know where the origin of the whole Gypsy Curse came from. Like, I don't know how it became part of the whole Romani people myth. So I tried to find that. I couldn't find it. But again, everyone recognizes the whole Gypsy Curse, so we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Two more points before we leave malicious curses. One is that there are some curses mentioned in the Bible. So that's a very Old Testament type of thing. But oh, really? yeah. For instance, there's the generational curse, and that's one mentioned uh, multiple times, once in Exodus, I think there's in Deuteronomy. The curse is God warns that he is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So obviously the recommended way to break the generational curse is to repent and find salvation. We'll talk about generational curses as we go along, but that's why I wanted to quote that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let me talk about the self-curse. This one isn't very well known, but it's the one you'll recognize instantly, and we still practice like every fucking day today. So a self-curse is used simply as a guarantee of good faith. In other words, it's basically you saying, I'm being truthful and honest. Like when you say, oh, I swear on my life, or I swear to God, or something like that. I swear on my mother's grave. That's what that means. You're saying, I'm being honest, and if I'm not being honest, this bad thing will happen to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Saying these things now don't really mean much. We don't, expect consequences when we say them but back in the day it did if you mm-hmm. said that stuff you're using it to say that you're telling the truth and when people say that they believe that if well, i yeah, like court, swear to god it's gonna damn me you, if you I don't swear on it. the bible right well, you know and that's what i was gonna bring up that's the one time where you're required to say a self-curse when you're testifying in court is when you either swear on the bible which is a self-curse or if i swear in affirm, firm as a non-religious self-curse
1: do they still do that yeah but what if I'm an atheist?
0: Then you say, I swear or affirm that, that what I'm saying is true. Oh, so you just bi- take God out of it. But you're just swearing that... The Do you still have to touch the Bible? No. Oh, I okay. think you just hold up a hand. It's like an oath. Got it, got it. But it's still based in self-cursing. Sure, sure. So yeah, that's still around. I've already learned something today. Good, I'm done. And yeah. we're done. We're done with this one. <laughs> All right, so now that leads me to section two, which is films about curses. So the first film I could find, because I'm always digging back in the history... And the oldest one I could find was The House of Seven Gables from 1910 that was produced by the Edison Company. The company, as you know. YouTube videos. Same cat for boxing. Uh-huh. Boxing YouTube videos and for ripping off Nikolai Tesla. But, yeah, they made this movie. And it's based on the Nathaniel Hawthorne novel, the same name. And it's about this guy named Colonel Pynchon. And he's a very rich, powerful man living in Puritan Salem. So there's a big, like, Salem witch hunt stuff behind of this. And he wants to build this big-ass house for his descendants. So he finds a perfect location for the house, but here's the problem. The land is owned by this poor man named Matthew Maul. Molly Maul, whatever the fuck. Maul refused to sell the land, so Colonel Pitchin said this person's a warlock, mm-hmm. or a witch, or practicing witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And that was during the whole Salem Witch Trial hysteria. So he accuses the guy of witchcraft, which leads to that guy being hung. And then before dying, Maul puts a curse on Pitchin, telling him God will give him blood to drink. So that's his curse, but it's like a generational curse, too. Gross. So, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. So once Pitchin gets his hands on Maul's land, he begins building a home he names the house house of seven gables because it's got seven gables on it but the very day that colonel Pynchon does his housewarming party he's found dead with like blood on his neck Mm -hmm. and then his guests whisper about a curse years later his descendants are doing not so great they're kind of like falling on bad times they think that they have a generational curse you know people whisper about it because of what happened with the colonel and so a bunch of other deaths and other shit happens so it's yeah it's basically a family curse that they manage to break when they get rid of the house okay Huh. so yeah this has been remade several times and I think the last one was in 1960 with Shirley Temple mm-hmm. there also there's a real house of seven gables in Salem, Massachusetts I think it was owned by one of uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's cousins or something but yeah oh really? cool yeah, yeah. so that's the first film I could find alright now I'm gonna fast forward a little bit I'm gonna jump ahead to the 30s and 40s and talk a little bit about the golden age monsters of that era for a second Because I don't really think about it at the time, but two and maybe three of these monsters have curses attached to them. So the first one is The Mummy from 1932. That's played by Boris Korloff. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned with Tutankhamun's tomb and everything, there's the whole aspect of the the Pharaoh's curse. Well, they took that because 10 years before this movie came out, that was a hot topic. You know, everyone was interested in Egyptology. And since Universal had a big hit with Dracula and Frankenstein, they were looking for a new monster. So they're like, fuck, let's take this mummy curse thing and make that into a movie, so they did, and they got Boris Karloff. So, the rough plot, if you haven't seen this, takes its story from that expedition that found the tomb. It's about a field expedition in Egypt that discovers a mummy, and it's Imhotep. Imhotep, yeah, whatever. Why are you looking at me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was looking at you for. Did you see my evil eye, though? I did. I yeah. feel it, and I'm gonna fucking have pain and die. But he was condemned and buried alive for sacrilege. Also, found in the tomb was the scroll of Thoth, which can bring the dead back to life. So, one night, a young member of the expedition reads the scroll out loud, and then goes insane, realizing that he brought Imhotep back to life, thus the mummy. That's kind of cool. Yeah, 10 years later, disguised as a modern Egyptian, the mummy attempts to reunite with his lost love, the ancient princess, who's been reincarnated into a beautiful young woman. The movie was a success, and is considered a classic, but pulls the story, like I said, directly from the Curse of the Pharaohs. Mm -hmm. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll Feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on Earth like The Mummy. As you know, there's been reboots and remakes of this. One starring Brendan, Brendan Fraser, Fraser and, of course, Tom Cruise is in the latest one. Oh, yeah. Oof. But, oh, that was a bomb. But, yeah, so there's a Golden Age monster with a curse. The next one is The Wolfman from 1940. Mm -hmm. Let me go through the plot of this one. So, upon the death of his brother, Larry Talbot returns to his ancestral home in Wales. He visits a gypsy camp with a village girl who is attacked by Bella, a gypsy who has turned into a werewolf, Bella being played by Bella Lugosi. Oh, cool. Larry kills the werewolf, but is bitten during the fight. Bella's mother tells him that this will cause him to become a werewolf at each full moon, and you know the rest of the story. This movie is a classic and has influenced countless films. I bring this movie up because it follows my golden age theme, but also, I think this is the first movie I could find that has a gypsy association with the curse, which is mm-hmm. why I brought them up in the first section. I couldn't find a movie before this that had a direct correlation with what we call gypsies in that curse. So I think this is the first one. Oh, wow. And so somebody fact check me out there. If you know of a movie that deals with a gypsy curse before this, let me know. And also worth noting that the werewolf affliction is disease-based in part, but is also considered a curse as well. And this curse is played differently in future films with werewolf themes. For instance, the uh, classic series Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2 have it as a generational curse. Oh, yeah. Fun fact, the gypsy Bella, is, like I said, is played by Golden Age horror actor Bella Lugosi, who himself would be cursed later in life with a heroin addiction and an association with Ed Wood. So... <laughs> They were friends. They were sweet. So speaking of Bela Lugosi, my next movie is Dracula from 1931. Now this, everyone knows this movie and this character. It's the American pre-code vampire horror film that starred Bela Lugosi. The film was produced by Universal as part of its Universal Monsters thing, and it was an instant a hit. So I bring this up as a curse because, even though I've never seen it in the book, I've read the book. I don't know if you ever read the book. No. But his origin story is very vague in the book. He suggested that he got these powers and has to drink blood and everything because he was a sorcerer and did magic. Okay. But I bring this up as a curse because if you remember 1992 classic Bram Stoker's Dracula directed by Francis Ford I Coppola just and this. starring... Yeah. Did you really yeah
1: oh it's bad it's pretty yeah. bad so it stars let me see if i can get this right keanu mm-hmm. winona anthony hopkins mm-hmm. and gary Oldman. Yeah. yeah yeah and gary sinise as dracula <laughs> as dracula <laughs> and lon chaney <laughs> and spider baby
0: so yeah that's that movie yeah and it's Ooh, pretty bad. It's bad but they sort of gave him a origin story in that movie so at the beginning he goes off to war, and Dracula is also associated with Vlad the Impaler, who's a real-life figure that Dracula's based on. So, he's a warrior. He goes off to fight. His beloved wife, Elisabetta, commits suicide after receiving a false report that he had died. He comes back after fighting and realizes she's dead, and of course, he just condemns the church and blasphemes, and then stabs the altar, if you remember, and then blood gushes out, which he drinks. So, it's like a self-curse. This
1: is in Bram Stoker's Dracula from,
0: and from the movie. It is. It's not in the book. Oh, it's not? No, not at all. Oh, boy. Like I said, his his origin in the book is very vague. I researched the shit out of it to see if I missed something. But I think what Coppola did for Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is not really based on Bram Stoker's Dracula is combine the, the real life legend of the Impaler, who dracula is loosely based on mm-hmm. with his conquering and all that shit with the fictional character and added a little bit of this origin story which is essentially it's a blood curse that movie is a
1: mess oh it's a like, terrible mess is a mess yeah it's, it's not even really enjoyable no no like no. it's just not good it's, it's really bad i watched it and i was just like i'm gonna love this and i was like woof, this is terrible it was an
0: especially dark period for francis yeah, yeah he yeah. had just finished a few years earlier Godfather Three, which is also yeah, not, not good. A, not worth making he, he was it was a dark period right then. I think one of his sons had died around then and actually I worked with somebody who was an extra on Godfather Three. Oh really? And said Coppola was a fucking mess. Yeah. Said I like he that. was like just, it was a shit show. And this looks like a shit show. The
1: one thing that I will say about it is the marketing was very good. Yeah, Like, Bram Stoker's Dracula should have been the best movie ever made, because the marketing was good. I had all the posters, oh, and, yeah. I mean, the t-shirts and everything, like, Spencer Gifts, basically Bram <laughs> Stoker's Dracula took over Spencer It was everywhere. Gifts. It, it was, was everywhere. It was really well marketed. And then yeah. you watched the movie, and you were like, oh. Yeah, it's a major misfire. Terrible.
0: <laughs> but anyway, so maybe that's part of the curse. Uh-huh, maybe so. All right. So now I'm gonna push us up to present day with these movies about curses, or closer to present day, and focus on, you know, those movies where you see someone put a curse on somebody. Mm -hmm. So this is where most of the gypsy curse type of films are gonna come up. Mm -hmm. And I only have a a few I hand picked, but I figure we could discuss them. So the first movie I'm gonna talk about is The Devil Within Her, also known as I Don't Want to Be Born, from nineteen seventy-five. And this episode I got directly from your episode on bad babies because it is about a bad baby. Right. And this one is a terrible Joan Collins view I
1: was just about to say was that that awful Joan Collins movie yeah. oh it's so
0: bad and it has Collins getting a curse put on her from a midget which is part of the description so yeah. a little person puts a curse on her and then she has a baby that keeps biting and trying to like drown people and yeah. do all types of fucked up shit Joan Collins then performs an exorcism on the baby doesn't she just like yell at him and hold a crucifix up to him and I she's think like, so that's it yeah Yeah.
1: this was before Joan Collins was on Dynasty <laughs> and I didn't know nothing about her but she had a really rough film there for a few years yeah this
0: is definitely what movie's of terrible yeah so she exercises her baby the cursing midget dies as a result of the curse being lifted from the baby i didn't watch this movie i tried to read as much as i can yeah, i don't think it. he wasn't gypsy though
1: well but also she's not a catholic priest so how is she gonna perform an exorcism <laughs> I,
0: I don't i don't know like
1: screaming at someone with a crucifix is not an exorcism I, I you're just nothing. being joan collins yeah
0: i don't i don't fucking know scream run hide it is the time of absolute terror not since rosemary's baby conceived by the devil the devil within her all right, so my next two movies, though. I, just, I had to mention this movie, first of, of all. I had to do it. But the next one are more gypsy-oriented. And that the first one I want to talk about is Thinner from 1996. Stephen King, yeah. Yeah, and it's based on the Stephen King book of the same name. He wrote it under his Richard Bachman fake name. But the plot is this guy, his name is Billy. He's this obese lawyer. Yeah, I think he's getting a blowjob in his car while he's driving home. And he ends up running over an elderly gypsy woman. And no charges are filed against him because he's an upstanding lawyer. And she's, of course, just a gypsy and outraged by the injustice the woman who was run over her 106 year old father curses Billy by touching his face and saying thinner and then after that Billy starts like losing weight drastically it's like a race against time to get rid of the curse and essentially he gets his mobster friends to threaten the gypsies to get the curse removed and things happen did you see this movie? no or read I've the book seen it I read the book you know 100 years ago but... yeah and it has kind of a dark ending mm-hmm. at least the book does I don't remember I think I saw the movie but it's definitely a well known gypsy curse movie and it's just like it's gypsy justice uh-huh. For Billy Halleck, life is sweet. Bigger is better. I hate it when you do that. No, you love it.
1: And too much is never enough. But tonight, all of that will change. You kill my daughter, and I curse you. Finna. From the best-selling novel by Stephen King comes the new shape of terror.
0: Stephen King's Dinner. Was the blowjob good? I don't know if it was Gypsy Killing worth, good. Yeah. But worth, it was probably fairly good. I mean, but I, I, I asked the, the important movie. questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah really, so how was the blowjob? How was the blowjob? <laughs> <laughs> is that worth it? Is that, is that notable? But. <laughs>
1: but I don't think this movie did all that great Like, no, I think it did, like it's six- never mentioned in like no. any of like the you know the Stephen King movies like the best ones so. no no
0: no but it's definitely a predominant curse movie mm-hmm. and then the next one who I think is a much better film and is also a gypsy curse movie is Drag Me to Hell from 2009 I just
1: wrote that down because I was like I wonder if he's going to have that one in
0: here yeah <laughs> that was directed by Sam Raimi right around his Spider-Man years but it was definitely a throwback to his kind of batshit early career yeah I liked it did you ever see it? I did I actually saw it in the theater but all Same
1: I era. remember was you know we had a bunch of annoying teenagers behind us and you know sometimes when you go to the movies and like I went to go see Scream 8 or whatever the last one was and the theater was all turned up everybody was drunk and loud and right. whatever and that was really fun it was a fun experience these teenagers were so fucking annoying behind us and dragged me to hell and I was sitting with a friend that I was like I know he's gonna say something and so that made me like so nervous because <laughs> it's like you're gonna have an altercation at the movie theater and that makes me mad and I, that's all I remember about the movie who okay. was Justin Long
0: It was Justin Long, and uh, I forgot the actress's name. I I thought I wrote it down. But let me give you the rough plot for those who haven't seen it. So this woman, Christine, she's a loan officer. She's new at her job, so she's trying to impress her boss uh, and show him that she can make hard decisions. So this elderly gypsy woman, quote unquote, came into there and asked for an extension on her mortgage or payment or something like that. She doesn't do it to show that she's a, she's a hard play. ass. Yeah. And the gypsy woman gives her a curse and that says in three days of escalating torment, she'll end up getting dragged into hell. Yeah, and it's the title. From then on, it becomes a race against time where she's got to try to find a way to get rid of this curse, and it just gets bat shit crazy.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of flies in it, right? There's it's flies, stuff. It's a very, cool.
0: I like that. Yeah, it's a Sam Raimi like Evil Dead type of action. Yeah, but PG-13 because it wasn't rated R. Yeah. I kind of wish it was rated R. Yeah, me too.
1: And I wish those kids would just shut up, fucking kids. Shut up, kids. Did you give me the evil eye? I should have done that. I was scared of them. No. <laughs> I'm always afraid of getting in an altercation at
0: the movie theater. I've never gotten in one. but I'm
1: always scared of it.
0: Always have a curse ready for fuckers like that. I should, I should. All right, so I'm going to move on from that, but that's the gypsy curse. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of it, even though it's very familiar, so I just want to touch on that. The next ones I want to talk about, This and this is what I'm going to close out this section, is the curses that are like supernatural-based, sort of like a protective curse, but it's a curse where the cursed person doesn't get cursed unless they do a certain action. Mm -hmm. Example, the two main ones I want to talk about are Ringu or The Ring Ring, and, of course, Juan or The Grudge. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows The Ring. It was originally a Japanese film called Ringu, but what it is is there's this cursed videotape that has something supernatural on it. And if you play it, you get a phone call or some threatening phone call and then a week later you die. Right. And it's all tied into some murder and this, you know, the whole j Har thing with the girl with the wet hair in yeah. front of her face. She, and she moves somehow weird.
1: projected her horrible past onto right. this video and that video is now spreading that curse. Right.
0: And the only way for you, if you've seen it, to get rid of it is to make a copy and pass it on. Right. So you have to pass, to the, pass curse the curse on. on, on, on kill to somebody, somebody on. else. Yeah, Kill somebody else. So that's the only way to get rid of the curse. It was and, a great movie,
1: by the way. The original is great. The remake is great. The, it, yeah. Just
0: a great, that was a very good time in horror movie. Yeah, history. both of those were, were great, yeah. but everyone knows about them, but I had to mention them because it's a good example here. The second one I want to talk about is called ju The Grudge. Also, the American remake is called The Grudge. And that one, I didn't see that one. Did you watch that one? Yeah, I have it. The um, the original is very good. Yeah. The Grudge,
1: is that Sarah Michelle Gellar? Yeah. Yeah, that That's not very, very good. good. No.
0: But what are the differences? I know it has something to do with a family curse that's tied to this house. So it's like a haunted house, but if everyone who goes in the house mm-hmm. gets cursed to some degree. Or it's, I don't remember. It's I know I didn't get a chance to watch them I just never saw them But both movies take place in Japan Yep and it's a house that is haunted I think in the first one a woman is brutally murdered in the house or something happens but it's a woman or a child that haunted I think mm-hmm. and the same with the second it's a child woman. I think right? it's more of a child yeah. okay and yeah whoever goes in there gets uh, cursed I feel like the American remake based on the description seems like they tried to bring it around to the ring a little bit more because there's a way to break the spell and you have to do something to be, before you become the next victim I, I like I said I didn't see this but it's very popular and it's just another Jhar based on supernatural curse yep. whereas you as the unsuspecting person does something and now you're cursed yeah, yeah and then the last one of this is more recent which is it follows from 2014 mm-hmm, you yeah. talk about that in venereal diseases it's a very broad analogy of getting aids and passing mm-hmm. on venereal diseases but it's also the same, very similar to the ring in that it's a curse you get and it follows you hence the title until you pass on to somebody else and he passed it on to and they worker. pass it to some yeah <laughs> But it's which same. is the right thing to do you never know where it comes from you never know the origin of it but again it's a thing where you just an unsuspecting person does a certain action it's a malicious curse that acts like a protective curse sure do you have anything else to say about it follows it's a great movie i like it a lot um, yeah i did too nope no i'm good okay nothing much to say about this movie we talk about it in other episodes but it's a great movie yep and it's a good example of a, a supernatural curse okay so now i'm going to move on to my third section which okay. sort of stands alone. I'm going to try to tie it back to you, though, too, and to see if I'm successful. But the third section is films that are believed to be cursed. Oh,
1: that's an interesting twist.
0: Yeah, for this section, though, I'm setting up a few rules. There are a lot of films that are classified as cursed. Some of which are considered such because of some deaths or injuries on set. But I whittled the list down and just discussed films that had lingering effects, or at least perceived lingering effects. So just one accident or two on set doesn't warrant mention as being a cursed film. Sure. There has to be a trend of ongoing tragedy associated with this film to make it on this list. You'll see what I mean as we go along. As a result, though, I'm not going to mention the Twilight Zone movie or The Crow, both of which I discuss at late yeah, in my dead-on set. Done that. If you want to hear us talk about them, you can listen to that episode. Although, let me caveat The Crow because I'm mentioning a certain aspect of that film. We'll come back to that, but not the movie itself. Let me also caveat and say that some of these film curses are a bit of a stretch, you'll see, but the troubles associated with them have become legend. Mm -hmm. First movie I want to talk about is The Wizard of Oz. Everybody's seen it, it's a classic. But first of all, you know what happened to actress Judy Garland in the years followed Wizard of Oz. Her personal life became a shit show, and a lot of it's been blamed on abuses that were put on her from the studio. Mm -hmm. For instance, they made her have two abortions. They also got her addicted to pills to keep her weight down. She suffered through four divorces, financial instability, and she ended up dying of an accidental overdose of barbiturates at age 47. Up, It was a really sad life. Yeah. But it didn't stop there. Four months after the movie was released, Frank Morgan, who played the wizard, was involved in a serious car accident. He was largely uninjured, but his chauffeur was killed, so people associate that with this quote-unquote curse. Clara Blandick, who played Auntie M, committed suicide by overdosing on sleeping pills and putting a plastic bag over her head when she Ooh. was 81. That's, that's fucked that's up. When she was 81? Yeah. She was like, I'm out. Fuck this. That's terrible. Yeah. And then during production, a number of accidents took place on set. Several actors playing the flying monkeys. Their wires actually broke that were holding them and a bunch of those folks got injured. Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, was badly burned while filming a scene where she explodes in the flames. Mm -hmm. When she took time off to recover, a stand-in that was hired to replicate her stunt was also burned in the same fashion. Add to all this the rumor that in a scene in the movie, there's a munchkin that hung himself. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about that rumor? It's been debunked, but that only feeds this legend. So The Wizard of Oz is the first film I can find on that note that is cursed. Mm. The second one that is supposedly cursed is the movie The Conqueror. To recap, it's an American epic film that stars John Wayne as the Mongol conqueror Genghis Khan. We talked about this in Dead on Set. Oh, right. It also co-stars Susan Hayward, Agnes Moorhead, and was produced by Howard Hughes. So actually, I discussed this on Dead on Set, although nobody technically died on set. But this is another production that's believed to be cursed, and there may be something to that as the years following, movie, a bunch of people died from cancer that were associated with this film. Oh, right, right. Director Dick Powell died of cancer in 1963, just eight years after it came out. Susan Hayward, John Wayne, Agnes Moorhead all died of cancer in the 70s. Cast member actor John Hoyt died of lung cancer in 1991. The cast and crew totaled 220 people, but by 1981, 91 of them had developed some sort of cancer, and 46 of them had died of the disease by that point. Several of John Wayne and Susan Hayward's family members also developed cancer after they visited the set. So that's some pretty crazy shit. I mean, yeah, it would suggest that this movie was cursed. But if you remember, in an effort to look like Mongolia, they had all the exteriors filmed in St. George, Utah. So mm-hmm. that's where the majority of the outside shots of the film were filmed. Some people theorize as to why all these untimely deaths occurred. Some people think the production was on an Indian burial ground. Although what's probably closer to the truth is that the area of Saint George, Utah, where they filmed was around 137 miles downwind of the United States government's Nevada test site, which is an extensive above-ground nuclear weapons testing facility. (laughs) Yeah, and there had been extensive testing done there just a few years prior, and it was downwind of that. So I'm going to go with the latter, Mm -hmm, probably. But it's you know, gathered a legend as a a midget put a
1: curse on it. I think it's a midget
0: a curse on it is probably what happened fun fact well actually not so fun fact producer howard hughes always felt guilty about this doom production and according to legend this movie and ice station zebra were the two that he always were watching when he went crazy in his house so oh, really huh. so it cursed him i guess, I guess so you can so. look at it that way all right, next movie, moving on. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Some people think this production is pretty cursed as well. Mm-hmm. I know it's your favorite movie. It's starring Mia Farrow and Ruth Gordon, of course. And just to recap, even though I don't feel like I need to, but a young couple, they're moving to the Upper West Side apartment in New York. I have the child of Satan. Yep. So good times. I left a lot of that out
1: of the William Castle episode just because it was a little bit of a downer, you know. Oh yeah. Um, and that was like the happiest episode I think I've ever done. That was like super G rated, and but we talked about it a little bit later. He was very troubled by some of the things that happened, and yeah. then also I think we talked about it in blasphemy. You know, the Catholic Church really denouncing the movie and everything. He was kind of like, oh, dear, I've done something that I'm going to have to pay for
0: later. Well, of the cursed films I talk about so far, this is the closest to legit that I talk about Mm -hmm. so far. And you're right, William Castle, he was one of the people that felt like this production was cursed. Yeah, And, And we'll talk about that. And so let me go through some of that stuff. Number one, let me just say that the actual filming of Rosemary's Baby was, for the most part, uneventful. Yeah, right. There wasn't any major accidents on set or anything like
1: that. The only thing was Rosemary, Mia Farrow, almost had to leave set because her husband at the time, you know who her husband was?
0: Yes, because her husband, Frank Sinatra, filed for divorce. That's right. Yeah. And he
1: wanted, she was supposed to be making another movie, and he insisted that she leave the set of that to come make this other movie, which was, you know, some big flashy musical that bombed at the boxes office and she was considering doing it and apparently Polanski told her it was like you're gonna win best actress if you stay on this she yeah. wasn't nominated but you know no.
0: yeah at least that one thing happened mm-hmm. but things didn't really start getting weird till after initial filming had wrapped mm-hmm. the first thing that happened was the film's composer Christoph Kumita I don't know if I said that right but I think that's right in the fall of 1968 was roughhousing at a party when he fell off a rocky embankment and went into a coma with a, a brain clot which turned out to be fatal eventually But that's the very same affliction that the witches used to kill Rosemary's suspicious friend in the book. That's right. And, of course, Kamita died from that in 1969, a year later. So the same year that he died, that April, producer William Castle, sick from worry from the hate mail he was receiving consistently because of this movie, was suddenly stricken with severe kidney stones. And supposedly, while he was delirious in the hospital, he hallucinated scenes from the film and was said to have yelled, Rosemary, for God's sake, drop the knife. Castle did recover, just barely, but he never made a Hollywood hit again after this one. But, of course, the real tragedy that's associated with this film was still yet to come. And so a year and a half after the film's release in August of 1969, you know this, Polanski's pregnant wife, actress Sharon Tate, and four others were murdered by members of the Manson family in Polanski and Tate's Hollywood home. Yeah. But that's not the end. Here's a bunch of creepy coincidences that are tied to Rosemary's Baby. So Charles Manson was said to be obsessed with the Beatles' White Album. And he went so far as to blame the record for his psychotic behavior. As you know, the words helter-skelter, I think, was written in blood in the Tate house at the right. murder scene. But speaking of the Beatles, John Lennon, who was shot and killed by Mark David Chapman in 1980, was killed out front of the Dakota, the iconic Manhattan apartment building where Rosemary and Guy reside in Rosemary's Baby. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, and one last tie to the Beatles, the White Album's hit, Dear Prudence, was in fact Mira Farrow's younger sister, Prudence Pharaoh, who the band had met while on a spiritual retreat in India. I knew that. Okay. So, it's weird how some of these things all tie together. One last thing, everyone who made this movie seemed to be negatively affected in some way, and even the author, Ira Levin, who in a 1992 interview confessed to having mixed feelings about Rosemary's baby, including religious guilt. He felt like his work had played a significant part in all this popularization of the occult and the belief in witchcraft and Satanism. So he felt like he was part of the blame. Part of Satanic Panic. Yeah. yeah. So the next film I'm going to talk about is another Satanic movie from this time period. So it's got to be The Exorcist. Yes. For starters, as many as nine deaths, accidental and natural, are allegedly associated with the production, including cast, crew, and relatives of those associated with the film. I didn't really talk about a lot of those, but just that's what the legend has. Mm-hmm. In her autobiography, Ellen Burstyn, who was in the movie addressed the deaths associated with the film. Burstyn herself suffered a spinal injury in one of the film scenes where she's thrown from the bed of her possessed daughter. It was that scene she's thrown. Yeah, yeah. She got a spinal injury from that. In addition, an all around creepy atmosphere was going on while they were filming the movie. Various unexplained accidents occurred on the film sets, including fires that prompted Freakin to call in a real priest to mitigate these issues. They actually got a real priest in <laughs> there. Was it Joan Collins? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> it was because of this fucking midget curse. Yeah. But of course, that's to say nothing of the film's release where many of the early audience members, you know, completely lost their shit, like vomiting, passing out, becoming hysterical in the theaters. That's well known. And there's Linda Blair, who won a Golden Globe for her role in the film and never had that kind of success again. And then, of course, you can add to this, the awful Exorcist sequel. That certainly didn't help things at all. Although it is the reason why we're here today. That is true. So it did bring about this podcast. And she also was in Savage Streets, which I think helped mitigate this curse. Yep. Let me ask you a question yeah. before you go any further. Mm-hmm.
1: Are there any movies that are cursed that don't have to deal with the Catholic Church and Satan? Like if we looked at Who Framed Roger Rabbit, <laughs> like would we find all the same similarities? of like deaths or is it just because all of these movies are Satan movies that the Catholic church they're like oh they're cursed and let's just start picking out things that happen I mean everybody dies right right everybody dies at some point so you could say that any movie made before 1940 is cursed because probably everybody in that movie's dead
0: I see what you're saying (laughs) I think that there are some movies that have some interesting occurrences I think people are looking for meaning when bad things happen on a set that is of a film that deals with dark forces or whatever sure. right so i think people associate that more often because they're looking for that so mm-hmm. they made a movie about satan and look at all the bad stuff and that look happened, what happened right? so they're they're kind of looking for that to begin with
1: right if you leave it alone then it won't it be won't a problem happen. but yeah. yeah
0: so i think that's the thing but then do you believe in curses because these bad things happen or do you believe in curses and so that's why you're looking for these bad things Got that it. happen? yeah as a curse mm-hmm. so i think it's a, a bit of both yeah but my next movie I want to talk about is probably what's considered the most cursed film out there. Can you guess what it is? Poltergeist from 1982. Oh, yeah. And I'm talking more about the whole series, but most of the cursed stuff, I think, is generated in the first film because, you know, there's three of them. Yeah. But the curse kind of, takes up the whole trilogy, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I know you've seen this movie. Yeah. We talked about it in
1: Crop Killers. Yeah. We've talked talked about it it in everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I don't know if our audience has seen this movie, but it's the ghost story directed by... Everyone's seen Poltergeist. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's a suburban horror movie, and it's considered pretty cursed, and there's some compelling evidence. So the first tragedy that occurred in regards to Poltergeist came in the year that it was released, in 1982. And it was when actress Dominique Dunn, who played the older teenage daughter in the movie, was strangled to death in her driveway by her abusive ex-boyfriend yeah. she was only 22 years old at the time so that was the main thing for the first one but in poltergeist 2 julian beck who played the antagonist he played uh, like the preacher guy in poltergeist 2 did you ever see that one a million years ago on okay.
1: tnt after dark you know
0: it's not great he died of cancer at age 60 he was ill when he started working on the movie but he died soon after mm-hmm, i feel like he that, was that counts completed. yeah yeah it probably doesn't Will Sampson, he's a Native American actor in Poltergeist 2. Just two years after the film was done, he died from malnutrition and some kidney failure. Mm -hmm. And he was 53. But the biggest event that perpetuates this curse, and I can tell you're you're waiting for me to get to it, is the untimely passing of Poltergeist's iconic young star, Heather O'Rourke. The little girl that goes, They're
1: here.
0: And they're back. back. Yeah she was in all three movies but she died at just 12 years old of cardiac arrest due to septic shock yeah that's bonkers she died of septic shock because she had some sort of bowel blockage so it's really fucking weird and then one other thing lou perryman who played the role of pugsley in the original film i don't remember who he was mm-hmm. he was 67 years old when a recently released ex-convict killed him in his own home with an axe
1: Ooh, that's okay. a pretty gruesome yeah. death
0: alright you got a couple on this one a couple on this one but this is one of the few films where you could kind of argue where that there was an origin to this curse <laughs> you know the other ones are just like okay bad right, sure, topics bad shit happen, but yeah. this one supposedly there's a reason why it was cursed and this one was according to the actress Jo Beth Williams who played the mom Diane in the first two poltergeist films she hinted that in an effort to save money Steven Spielberg insisted on using real human skeletons as props in the first film swimming pool scene you know when all the skeletons came mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. apparently they uh, the set person or whatever the effects person went to a bunch of universities and got the those skeletons they got use real in biology courses yeah. and shit and use those in the movie mm-hmm. to add to that the native american guy will samson he performed an exorcism on the set of poltergeist to i guess this guy was a shaman or something but he did it to help mitigate that whole bad spirits just to make sure they didn't follow him from the first movie i guess mm-hmm. which is funny because that's a plot point in poltergeist it's yeah. like building
1: that whole thing on a cemetery right and that's when all of those skeletons come up you know it's right. because they've disturbed that so yeah. so whether
0: you believe this curse or not it's got an origin so that's kind of cool right
1: with the death of heather o'rourke and several other stars in the poltergeist film supermarket tabloids immediately began running stories of the films being jinxed zelda rubinstein is in poltergeist three playing her now familiar role of the clairvoyant when we sat down to talk with her we asked what she thought of the jinx stories heather died uh because of an undetected congenital anatomical defect. Uh, Julian Beck died from cancer in his mature years. Will Sampson passed away after receiving a heart-lung transplant. It's my understanding he had an environmental disease. And Dominic Dunn died at the hands of of an extremely ill-directed, passionate, boyfriend Uh, these are reasons I do not call this a jinx so uh, I think that it's pretty much a courtesy to put to an end this uh, superstitious crap
0: that's the last overall movie I'm gonna talk about and dealing with curses. I've got a couple other things that I wanna just breeze through that are also considered curses. The two I wanna talk about are curses attached to actual people, okay? The first one is about uh, Rudolph Valentino and he was an early Hollywood icon. He was called the Latin lover. He was a sex symbol during the film Silent Era. But he died at the young age of 31. Legend has it, the reason for this is because he had a cursed ring that he bought in a jewelry store uh, when he went to San Francisco one day and picked this ring out. And supposedly the jeweler was like, don't get that. It's it's cursed, but he got it anyway. Supposedly, he wore the ring while shooting one of his films that later became a flop. After that, he put it away, filmed some other movies, and they did really, really well. He started wearing it again, and then soon after, fell gravely ill and was diagnosed with perforated ulcers that mimicked appendicitis. So mm-hmm. he had a, an ailment, a condition now called Valentino's Syndrome. So, hey, they named it after him. So that's well, kind of fucked up. Good, no, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's good, but that's kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when he died, his lover was allowed to choose some of his belongings to keep. And she chose the ring, and as soon as she started wearing wearing it she immediately fell gravely ill she survived and a few years later met a singer named russ colombo she gave colombo the ring a few days later colombo was killed in a mysterious shooting incident at the hands of one of his friends it was a weird incident then the ring next went to Columbo's best friend, a guy named Joe Casino. These sound like mobster names. Yeah. Who locked the ring in a glass case and refused to remove it or even donate it to the Valentino Museum. Eventually, he decided that the curse was bullshit and he removed the ring from the case and started wearing it. Within a week of that, he was hit and killed by a truck. Mm-hmm. These days, the ring is lost. Nobody knows where it's at, but yeah, Valentino had a curse ring. Mm-hmm. And then the next curse is the most famous person curse in Hollywood. And that is the Bruce Lee curse or the Bruce Lee family curse, I should say. So there's been controversy. He Died in a weird way, that he was did. weird, yeah, yeah, and he died at the young age of thirty two Bruce's death was officially stated as cerebral edema caused by a reaction to a painkiller, but there were plenty of other theories that's the real quote unquote cause of his death, everything from like the Chinese mafia, the triad, yeah, to a hooker giving him a power aphrodisiac that killed him this, uh, there's a bunch of theories
1: he was super healthy though, like yeah, that's I mean he's not... the prime of
0: his fucking life, yeah, you know the day he died was even weird, I mean, he woke up, I think he did some filming or something, but he was like fine in the morning, and then that evening dead. is dead. Yeah, it's fucked up. But of course, the most famous reason is this family curse that we hear about. That some demon was after Lee and his family. But it gained even more credibility when his son Brandon was accidentally shot and killed on the set of The Crow. The movie talked about that before. That just added a whole other level. Right, yeah. But then to add even more to that, uh, a film called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which was a um, biopic about... Bruce Lee, that came out at the time starring Jason Scott Lee, no relation. There's a scene in there, or sort of an ongoing theme, where he's battling his family curse. And there's a scene in the movie where near the end, he fights this demon. The demon's defeating him, and he actually sees his own grave, you know, his own gravestone. And, you know, his son shows up, Brandon... And the demon in the movie looks and starts trying to target Brandon. In the movie Bruce Lee gets up, beats up the demon, right. supposedly defeats the family curse. And Brandon Lee was still alive when the scene was filmed, but uh, his onset accident occurred about two months before Dragon was released in theaters. So this whole piece looked like it predicted Brandon's death. Yeah, sure. Added all this credibility to this Bruce Lee curse, and it's still alive today. Mm-hmm. All right. Last two things I want to talk about, just on a hopeful note, are two movies that were considered cursed, but somehow were able to beat their cursed productions. Oh, that's nice. Uh-huh. Uh, The first one was Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. That had a hugely troubled freaking production. Everything from, you know, it definitely went over budget, over time. They had storms, Mm -hmm. destroyed sets. Martin Sheen had a heart attack on set. Dennis Hopper was high on drugs. He would just run off in the woods. They couldn't find him. It's (laughs) crazy. It's actually documented in the documentary called Hearts of Darkness, a Filmmaker's Apocalypse. It was filmed by Coppola's wife. Mm -hmm. It's worth watching. It's really crazy. But that's a movie that, at the time, it was like, this movie's not ever going to get done. And then it finally got... Over its curse and became one of the most beloved movies in Hollywood. The next movie is the film called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yeah. Directed by Terry Gilliam. Did you have something to say about
1: that? I mean, he's been trying to make that movie for a hundred million years. Yes. And he's making it now, right? It's done. (sighs) Oh God. So it's It's premiering
0: soon. So just a little bit of backstory
1: on this. So Terry Gilliam,
0: you know, who did Time Bandits in Brazil and has done a bunch of films, but he wanted to make this Don Quixote movie and he'd been planning it back in like the late 80s. And he finally got secured funding for it in like the 90s. And then finally in, in the year of like 2000, he started, you know, production or whatever thing and immediately had problems like storms, again, storms and things ruined sets. His actors got ill, he had problems getting insurance for the production, the financial difficulty, uh, name it, and everything fucking happened to this. And what's interesting is a documentary called Lost in La Mancha was made about this movie. Yeah, have
1: you seen it? No, I want to see it. It's really it. good. I know, yeah. I
0: heard it's really, really good. That came out in 2002. But originally, that was supposed to be just one of those making-of documentaries they put into like a DVD like bonus, right? but became its own thing because it was such a fucking disaster. Since then, Gilliam made repeated attempts to relaunch this production. And then finally, in 2017, he got everything up and running and started filming. And it's complete. And supposedly, I don't know if it was going to f- premiere at Cannes but it's coming out cool but it took him I bet it's gonna suck I I'm, mean it's probably gonna suck it has to suck it's I gonna feel suck. like that's yeah. how movies like that like Dune you know right. they have to be bad it, it may be and it just, he may not get over the curse Apocalypse yeah. Now did get over the curse but you know I just want to point that out Apocalypse Now there were casualties involved which that plus another doomed production called Heaven's Gate were pretty much the movies that killed the 70s filmmaking revolution and yeah, Heaven's Gate was like a huge bomb yeah but it started with Apocalypse Now yeah. That was a big production that like bankrupted people. It's a miracle that movie has become as revered as it is now, but there's plenty of movies like Heaven's Gate that don't have that good of an outcome. We'll see what Don Quixote does. Yeah. So let me see if I can tie this whole thing together because I've got three disparate elements if you look at them separately. You know, the ancient history of curses and the belief in them back in the day and how they were used to, you know, regulate certain aspects of society, like make sure people don't steal books and shit, whatever. Right. There's a certain mythological element to it, so it's, a lot of that seems far-fetched or whatever, so you wouldn't think that it would have any value today, but what's funny about it, when I started putting all this shit together, is that, you know, people really do still believe in that shit, you know, yeah, Hollywood makes movies about curses, and they pull a lot of that old lore for horror movies or whatever, and so it's fun to talk about that, and the gypsy curses and everything else, but as I started digging deeper, and I got into the movies that, you know, were believed to be cursed, you know, people really do still believe in uh, some sort of power of curse. Curses, yeah, you know, yeah. so these films, you know, they they're legendary for being cursed. People are like, oh, yeah, that set was cursed. And usually, as we talked about already, you know, if you're talking about a dark or, or satanic subject matter, you're just inviting a curse on. But I'd say even rational people still believe in curses. I mean, we still say swear to God. We still swear on the Bible for court or affirm in court. We still self curse. But also, we still do these little things and these little rituals to make sure that we don't curse ourselves or things that we care about. For instance, with all the sports and stuff going on, I know with, you know, the Caps just won the Stanley Cup. People I knew that were big fans were like, oh, I got to wear this jersey and I got to watch it at this certain bar to make sure they keep winning. If I don't do that, they're going to fucking lose. And people believe that shit, you know, football season. People have their little rituals, you know, because if you don't do those rituals, you're part of the blame for the curse of them losing. Mm -hmm. Right, sure. You know, so we believe in that shit. There's still an innate underlying belief. Belief in that. So, tying it back to the movies and even the belief that there's an actual curse on a movie set is really fucking cool to me. So, that's why I chose to do this topic. And I just find it very interesting how it just all kind of fits together, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, because you kind of came full circle. A lot of our episodes in season five are coming full circle to previous episodes, and this kind of came full circle in your dead on set episode, too. So, it it makes sense in in Slums uh, history. Um, No, that's a really great episode. A couple things. Have you seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer?
0: No, and I was going to talk about that, but I hadn't seen it. But there is a curse aspect to that.
1: Oh, it's so good. I just saw it. It was one of the ones at the theater that I missed.
0: Yeah, Um, I heard it's something. But the movie does have a curse piece to it. They don't really explain how the curse works. Because some kid puts a curse on him, kind of.
1: Correct. There's no like, oh, I dug up the ancient King Tut's tomb and did this. He's just like, I put a curse on you. And you're just in a world... Of where that worked. Right. Which is great. Yeah. Another one. So, in the feature film Leprechaun.
0: wow we went there didn't uh-huh, we
1: yeah that's a curse right if you steal the leprechaun's gold yeah is that you a know, curse? And there's movies about
0: that yeah. yeah there's a curse on the leprechaun's gold but uh-huh. i mean i you know i wanted to talk about the midget curses
1: uh-huh. more than i that. completely understand but right. technically leprechauns are midgets
0: because they're very short people <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough that's Noted. all i got Noted. that's all i got all right.
1: of the sacred deer a fine film and an equally fine film <laughs> leprechaun leprechaun
0: and leprechaun in space uh-huh right all right so that's all i got i hope dan likes this episode i hope you guys guys like it and if you have any more films about curses or midgets. whatever or midgets uh let us know on that note please don't curse us mm-hmm. or you can curse slate i, don't, give a I shit. don't care it's fine yeah all right thanks bye thanks for listening to slums of film history you can find us on the web at slums of where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today along with pictures videos and additional resources as well as sunday slum day our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worse films
1: every sunday night If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.
0: And of course, my cat's out here bugging us and shit. <laughs> Damn it, kiddo! This
1: episode's cursed. Yeah, no
0: shit.